This podcast is sponsored by the American Society for Information Science and Technology. Since 1937, ACIST has been the Society for Information Professionals, leading the search for new and better theories, techniques, and technologies to improve access to information. By the IA Summit. This year, your peers and industry experts spoke about how topics such as social networking, gaming, patterns, tagging, taxonomies, and a wide range of IA tools and techniques help users experience information. And by Boxes and Arrows. Since 2001, Boxes and Arrows has been a peer-written journal promoting contributors who want to provoke thinking, push limits, and teach a few things along the way. For more events happening all over the world, be sure and check out events.boxesandarrows.com. In this presentation, Joe Sokol, Keen's Director of User Experience, brings together his passion for motorcycling and user experience design in this talk about the intersection of industrial and interaction design in motorcycling. Looking to other sources of experiences, like motorcycling, can aid all IA and UX professionals when looking to innovate and create a better user experience for clients. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. I'm going to talk largely about experience and what on both a personal level, what makes it interesting for me and what's an interesting experience from a motorcycling standpoint, but also as an IA, as somebody interested in the UX community, what are the things that I notice or think about while I'm motorcycling? And part of the idea is that it will um, hopefully bring the idea that there are other things to think about in user experience than just uh, websites and web apps. So. Um, as I look at this, this is basically what we're going to talk about. Why am I, what, what brought me into this? What brought me into the community? Talk about some of the risks and rewards, and there are some. Um, but specifically talk about dashboards and controls, things that I think do relate to a lot of the work that we do. And then just have a discussion about that. We all know that experientia docet, right? Experience is the best teacher. But I also believe that inspiratio docet. For those, any, any Romans in the audience? No, anyway, um, so the idea is, you know, what is, when we talk about motorcycling, what is motorcycling? What does it mean? You know, to some people, it's the booze fighters, you know, 1948, uh, veterans that came back from World War II, uh, hell raising, become the hell's angels, become the bikers, become now, of course, the doctors, lawyers, and stockbrokers who spend $30,000 for a, a Harley Davidson. Or maybe it's you meet the nicest people on a Honda. You know, the, it's a good cheap transportation, it's fun, it's, it's very practical. But um, so there are different reasons why people motorcycle. And from my standpoint, so let's, let's put the Wayback Machine on and talk about why I got into this and where I am. So the first time I ever went on a motorcycle, I'd just gotten a haircut. Actually, I needed a haircut, and a friend of mine took me all around to try to find a place that was open a Saturday afternoon because I was going to get in trouble at school if I didn't have one. And he took me on the back of his Honda 450, <clears throat> and I was, you know, obviously, like I said, 100 years ago, 100 pounds lighter. Um, the first time I ever went 100 miles an hour in my life on the back of this 450cc motorcycle. Started something in me. I had a motorcycle when I was in, in, in college, and then... I was out of it for 25 years, like a lot of people, and there's a huge segment of people, older people, who are getting back into this. And so in the past uh, six years, I've owned uh, 
five motorcycles. I've covered 70,000 miles in the past six years. So it is something I love doing. And in fact, I was going to motorcycle down here, and I just couldn't get the times right. And I live in Richmond, Virginia. It's definitely a passion, and other people have that. Uh, this is a public service announcement to give that idea of a, pub, a perfect day from the Department of Transportation in the UK. Um, is the music sufficient? Do you want to hear that a little more? It's, it's not as important, but, you know, oh, wow, that would be nice to have signposts like that on our routes, right? You know, you don't see that very often on trucks, right? Oh, boy. Back off the revs. You know, and there are cautions that we all need in our experience. You know, and yet it's other <laughs> things that are very dangerous, especially for motorcyclists <laughs> and for other people, too. And A Perfect Day is the name of the, the little movie, and it certainly would be nice, right? And so the idea is that an experience is more than just passively waiting for things to come at you. That's activity that you do. And unfortunately, we don't always have those things. But there is a risk to motorcycling, right? I mean, how many people, how many people here are motorcyclists, whether you're riding or used to ride? Yeah. Um, I got to say, how many times you bring this up and our friends, family, and other people, it's like, it's so dangerous. Yes, but it's so dangerous, right? It is. In the next video, it's a short one, but it is a little disturbing. But it's, it's also something to keep in mind. We, um, you know, we have to keep in mind what the risks are. And in, in, in any engagement, any experience, of course, there are risks versus reward. How close does a biker have to be before you see them? Very graphic uh, um, public service announcement. And it, it does... It's something that goes through minds. A lot of uh, uh, motorcyclists don't want to talk about it, and they get kind of mad at other people in forums or other places who talk about uh, issues with motorcycling, that it may be um, difficult. But there is still there are reasons why we do it. And I'm going to show two quotations that have had a lot to do with me uh, getting into motorcycling, but I think they do a very good job of capturing this. This is a very famous quotation at the end of Hunter Thompson's Hell's Angels, and he talks about, with the throttle screwed on, there's only the barest margin and no room for mistakes. It has, to, it has to be done right, and that's when the strange music starts, when you stretch your luck so far that fear becomes exhilaration and vibrates along your arms. You can barely see at 100. The tears blow back so fast that they vaporize before they get to your ears. The only sounds are the wind and the dull roar floating back from the mufflers. You watch the white line and try to lean in with it howling through a turn to the right, then the left, and down the long hill to Pacifica, letting off now, watching for the cops, but only until the next dark stretch and another few seconds on the edge. The edge. There's no honest way to explain it because the only people who really know where it is are the ones who have gone over. The others, the living of those who pushed their luck as far as they, could, as far as they felt they could, slowed down, did whatever they had to do when it came time to choose between now and later. And as we know, Hunter Thompson made that choice a couple of years ago. But the edge is still out there. Or, as he says, or maybe it's in. The Association of Motorcycles with LSD is no accident of publicity. They're both a means to an end to the place of definitions. Um, 
And, and that, I think, is a great quotation that captures a lot about motorcycling. More recently, my most fam- favorite author is uh, Melissa Holbrook Pearson. I read this book every winter. It's a woman who is talking about her journey, and the first lines of it are, from my mother I learned how to write prompt thank you notes for a variety of occasions. From Mrs. King's ballroom dancing school I learned a proper curtsy, and believe it or not, what to do if presented with nine eating utensils at the same place setting. From motorcycles I learned practically everything else. And it's an inspiration book about a woman's journey on motorcycles. This, by the way, is, anybody know what motorcycle that is? That's the famous Moto Guzzi uh, eight-cylinder bike that was designed but never built in the uh, 40s. So these are reasons why I motorcycle. Camaraderie, you know, getting together with a bunch of like-minded people, going for a short ride or a long ride, getting together with brothers and friends and, and having adventures and traveling. Um, but it's also solitude. I like going out someplace. The, the experience of being on my own through, through lonely roads, you know, rivers, beaches, historical places, um, vistas, uh, the road less traveled, if you will, and the places yet unseen. I love going places I've never been. As I like to say, it's places you can go in a car, but don't. And that's the difference between simply ut- utility and experience. Um, and if you're, you know, the Walton's Mountain Museum, there's a museum for, you know, the Waltons, you know, that were the people who really um, formed the uh, inspiration for the TV show and actually Earl Handler's books. Foamhenge, which is a two-scale replica of Stonehenge built out of, uh, of movie foam. How many people have been here to that other than me? Yeah, see? Now, you could go there easily. You know, Fort Necessity National Battlefield, where Washington surrendered, you know. People like Washington, the father of the country and the great, you know, military leader. Yeah, he was a horrible military leader. And he, you know, but this is kind of a history place I'd never been. The Mabry Mill on the Blue Ridge Parkway, the most photographed location on the Blue Ridge Parkway, 480 miles of government road. And, you know, it's just neat to go to these places. Um, and so I like to experience these things. But there's also the thrill factor. Let's face it, it is fun. There's a thrill, there is that edge that Hunter Thompson talks about. And yes, I have pushed it before on my motorcycle. And this is going to be a very, we're a small group of people. You know, this will be a chat. This is a chat. So, um, so, there is, so what's the, how, what does it have to do with user experience? Well, there's some things that make a difference in why people choose motorcycles. And there are all kinds of different motorcycles. But, you know, how that bike fits a person. You know, I can be on a motorcycle and say, this is a great bike, this is a perfect bike, you know. And, you know, um, you can say, this is a stupid bike, it doesn't work for me. Or Ducatis. Ducatis, I love the engineering, I love the design. They don't fit me. I've tried them. You know, it's like, it's a torture rack for me. Harley Davidson's, you know, they've got a great brand. You know, from my standpoint, you know, not so much. You know, we like to say in my world, the, 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 do you know why they put Harley-Davidson's on trailers? So they'll take the curves better. But anyway. Um, yeah, wow. Uh, and um, all of these things have to do with, with enhancing or detracting from the user experience. At GAT it means, it's an acronym in the community, which means all the gear all the time. 
and I'm an ADGAP person, here in Florida, of course, there is no helmet law. So you see the T-shirt, flip-flop wearing, uh, guys with no helmet riding the uh, 130 horsepower Hayabusa or, or the 700-pound Harleys. Um, and I like to tell people, at what speed are you comfortable jumping out of your car on the pavement and wearing what? You know, do the math. You know, we say, dress for the slide, not, not the ride. But there are other people who say, I want to be in freedom, I want to have my choice, and that's one of the things that speaks to them. That's on an emotional level. But the experiential level is on the ergonomics of the riding position, the visibility of how that dashboard and the controls are visible as well as the road, um, how much wind protection there is or not. The more wind protection, the less fatigue you have, the uh, better your visibility is because your eyes don't get strained. But also, it could be warmer if it's you know, 95 degrees in Florida and you've got a full windshield and full gear. What impact does that have on your experience? Are you hating life because you're just dripping with sweat? And, and does that fatigue and that uncomfort have an impact on your ability to operate the motorcycle? Key, key f important things. So I'm going to concentrate, though, on dashboards and some controls. Stephen Few, anybody, y'all know Stephen Few? He's a great, great writer who's written um, a new book, Information Design Dashboards, a uh, fairly new book, a very uh, pro strong proponent in the field of information visualization. And Few ha also, uh, on his website, oh man, I'm blanking, I think it's junkcharts.com. But anyway, on his site, he, he has a lot of articles, and this is one of them, Dashboard Design Taking a Metaphor Too Far. Cognos, um, Informatica, and so many others are using the dashboard, and they're doing these metaphors and, you know, taking the metaphor too far in some cases, or in other cases, not taking it far enough. But the point is, his definition of a dashboard, I think, applies to automotive dashboards as well. Um, it's, you know, concentrate the most important information needed to achieve the objectives. What are the objectives in motorcycling? You know, it's to get there safely, it's to have fun, it's to experience the ride, as it were, um, and it's not to die. And, and, and I guess the fifth thing is not to have anything break that's going to cost you more than you're willing to pay. Is that, does that definition resonate with, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. When you're riding along, it's much more comfortable. So, to have all the there. so the idea is in, in, in the sob that you used to have is that on operation, the designers made the conscious mistake, or mistake, the decision to say this is what people should focus on for safety as well as experiential reasons. So the other idea is that it's a tight display of information. And in motorcycling, that tight display is even more important. Uh, these are, you know, half a dozen different brands, different era dashboards, but they show virtually the same thing, um, with the exception of the Stone down here, which is a, a, a more of a budget-level motorcycle, so they didn't have the tachometer. Uh, but most motorcycles will have some form of of speedometer showing uh, how fast 
your, your rate of speed, your, you know, whatever. And, uh, well, I guess here it's here. Gosh, which one is it? That's funny. Um, oh, they're Veglias, that's why. Yeah, this is, and then over here, you have your tachometer, the revs indicator, showing how hard the engine is working. It's an indicator of, of performance, if you will. Right. But I like driving my stick shift Honda. And I use the audio feedback from the engine and the shifting a lot of the time and I ignore the dash. Well, and that's one of the things is how well does the does the bike work? And in fact if we you know, if we go back and look at um actually one of the things I don't like about this is how to actually go back. So if we kind of go back to looking at this, one of the elements of of the user experience is power, the power ratio, you know, how, the, how much power there is, how present it is, does it vibrate too much, does it distract, or does it also give you signals and inform you it's time to shift? It's, it's time to shift up or it's time to shift down? Because if you're in fifth gear and you're going 30 miles an hour for a lot of bikes, that's not a good thing. And there is feedback that comes from the vehicle itself. So, um, and that's part of the experience is knowing what that feedback is. There is a CD, um, I think it's put out in Sweden, or it was done in Sweden, of um, different Ducati uh, engine sounds. You know, here's the, you know, here's the Ducati Monster, you know, whatever. Here's the, you know, uh, um, uh, ST3, you know, and it's in different modes. And you can buy a CD just to listen to it. It's obviously one of the uh, things. And people here, people, the more people who sometimes get into motorcycling, it's like, Oh yeah, that's a Gucci coming out. It's like yeah, that's a Harley with straight pipes, you know, and that whole thing. And there's some good jokes about that. But you know, in, in all of these, you notice that there is a there is mostly there is a concentration of those controls in a place where they're accessible and they're visible. And they generally they show the same thing. They show they, they show speed. They show distance traveled. Most of them, or virtually all of them, have some sort of odometer showing the number of miles traveled. Um, you, you know, whether you're in this old Honda, which is fascinating that it, it's all cracked and stuff, but it still shows that the, um, uh, the distance traveled in the bottom odometer, the tripometer in the top, how many have, miles have elapsed for this particular trip or literally since it was zeroed out. So there are all these different types of information displays that that help give feedback to the the user and in fact the rider so now we go to the the motoguzzi so questo è lo motoguzzi uh, motoguzzi is un is passione is amore uh, that's i uh, you heard the the owner of of uh, Gucci talking about this. And they don't really believe in like sales, you know, they just, they're great motorcycles and they'll just sell themselves. Um, but there's a lot of design to it and, 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 and there is a nature, there's a sense that Italian motorcycles, like so many Italian things, have this sense of design, right? Um, and so I, I believe there are conscious decisions, design decisions that 
the motorcycle designers have made largely, my postulation is, largely to enhance that experience. The experience with the motorcycle, the experience with the brand, and hopefully to enhance the loyalty with the brand. So this is the, the Motoguchi Breva dash. At the center of it, it has a speedometer. It's analog, so it has the sweeping uh, dial. Uh, on the left is the tachometer, which is also uh, analog. Um, on the right is a fuel gauge. And the bottom right is what they call the multifunction display. More and more modern bikes are going towards this area, give you more information. Across the top in an arc are different indicator and warning lights. Some of them are just indicators like the two green um, turn signal indicators on the left and the right. The left one is on the left. I mean, I know some of this is just basic. Part of this, unfortunately, is the way my brain thinks. Is But I think about these things and I notice them. Somebody has to make that decision. Um, then you have the hybrid indicator. Once again, these are are indicators to let you know, but they're not warning conditions. In the center is the neutral light, a very common uh, feature with most motorcycles to let you know that you're in neutral, you're not in gear. It's a safety feature, it's also a marker of sorts. And then you have the, uh, on the sides you have a red triangle area which is uh, bad things are going on and you have a, a kickstand light that tells you when the kickstand is down. Uh, there's a safety feature with this bike where uh, you can start the bike if it's in neutral with the kickstand down. But once you put the bike into gear, or have it, and you can start it with it in gear but with the clutch engaged, once you disengage the clutch and the gear is engaged, the bike will shut off immediately. So the idea is safety feature, we don't want you to pull off and make a left-hand turn and you know crash because you're kickstand got caught on the pavement. Or they also don't want you to break it off, too. And then you have to lean your bike up like a bicycle against something. It's, and that's not cool. Um, <clears throat> so this is general things, right? Motorstead. There's some other things that are design choices, you know, that are true um, interface design. If you notice, this is the tachometer, which is also the power of the motorcycle, or the, uh, the, how it's working. Starting at eight, you see how it starts with a double line. Uh, the inside line is a little bit thicker than the outside. This is like, in effect, it's like this is four pixels and this is two pixels. So it gives that sweep of, of two lines. It enforces the fact that it's an arc visible at a glance. But starting at eight, going up to top zero, uh, uh, 10, there is a red line in between the two white line borders on the field of black. Um, indicating bad things happen. In addition, you see this light up right there that it is uh, the gear shift indicator that illuminates when the driver gets above at least 6,500. And interestingly, it's configurable. So you can change that. But the point is that you get a warning light that is immediately available, but there's also this additional support with that red line. Same way with the uh, fuel gauge, and I'll show a better picture of this one. But um, as the level of fuel gets down to a quarter of a tank, starting at a quarter to empty, there's that red bar signifying, you know, hey buddy, watch out. Similar to the video of a perfect day that we saw, the, you know, 
you know, back off the revs guy, you know, there's a, you know, or you know, spilt diesel ahead. It's a little signpost that tells, it gives that information to the uh, user. <clears throat> now, so this is the, in order to control that big square thing, right, you're probably saying, what the heck is that? This, this area down here, and some of the, some of the especially older school good sisty think this is an ugly dash and they hate it, um, aesthetically. But um, it provides a lot of data and information. So this is the data screen. This is, if you will, the, you know, this is the, you know, the onboard website. You know, this is the web app. This is, you know, whatever. Uh, and notice, though, at startup on this Breva 1100, it, it has the Breva logo. I'll mention something about that in design in a minute. But um, come on, I want you to change with this thing. I paid for this. Right. There's this multifunction uh, button that exists on the outside of the left-hand control near where the left forefinger rests. So the, in effect, the forefinger actually, when you're riding, so this is looking from the front of the bike towards the back, your finger rests about right there, your left forefinger rests at the edge of the grip there with this little button uh, very accessible. Um, and this is all the information you can get from this thing. Uh, a couple of things. So you have in the upper left, it's the current time, um, what the ambient temperature is. And when it gets below 35, you get a little snowflake icon that says, basically, watch out for black ice. It's a, a, once again, it's a design feature that, that uh, gives uh, the rider one of those signposts. In the rest of the display, it's based on whatever the selection is, uh, off of uh, a switch that's on the left-hand control, whether it's trip one, trip two, or a menu and diagnostic stuff. Trip one, so, so you have two separate tripometers, as we, they call them. That is, on this particular time, how far have I gone, which is also in a larger type, it's a, it's a different contrast to increase readability. Um, but also, it has the ability to show your current fuel consumption, your average fuel consumption, the highest speed you've gone, the average speed you've gone, and the elapsed time. And below that in a static area, static in the sense that it's not changeable by the user, we see the odometer of how far has this motorcycle gone since it was first put into operation. So the, if you will, the screen flow that's controlled by that multifunction button is for each tripometer that's selected, that will display, during that time, it will display the miles traveled this trip and start with the average fuel in 38.5 miles a gallon, okay. Then the next one is current fuel. I'm going up a hill, I'm getting 32. Or I'm going down a real long hill, I'm getting 65 miles a gallon. What the top speed is, the average speed, it's like, you know, I need to be in Dallas at 430 and I'm only averaging 40 miles an hour. I better pick up the pace. I better choose a different road and how much time on this trip. In this case, it's time that the bike has been in operation. So if you're driving, you stop, have lunch, turn the bike off, have lunch, get back on, it, it won't count for that time. Um, and so does it make sense? Can you all see kind of how that would work? And they're obviously, this is a very complex decision point for the motorcycle designers and the, in effect, the, the uh, interaction designer who said, I have to be able to have these things. And how do we place this, where do we place this information on the, 
dashboard. They made the decision to place it at the lower right. The other thing that they made the decision of <coughs> is this information right here, which is all this kind of stuff down here, is smaller. And their intent is you should only read it when you're not moving. Okay, safety, right? That, that makes sense. Make it smaller, make it harder to read. But guess what? Most people don't. They want to know what am I doing now and I don't want to get off the bike. So I think there's an unintended design flaw in that. No, this is the tripometer. So um, it's, it's only in that multifunction display area. The miles per hour is the, is the analog sweep. It, now, the, the Monoguzzi Grizzo is different. It's a similar architecture. The difference there is they only have an analog tachometer. Their speedometer is digital, and it'll flash and go down. It's, a sm it's also a smaller unit. This one, they could have the, both the, an you know, the analog speedometer and the uh, tachometer because they have more room. Now, most studies have, have indicated, and uh, especially for motorcycling, I believe that the digital, dashboard, digital speedometers are wrong because I don't need to know if I'm going 65 or 67 because the amount of time it takes for me cognitively to acquire that number and process that, I need to know where I am in relation to other numbers. And that's where the sweep of the, of the, um, of, of the what's the term, dial, the, the, the scale can give a better indicator than the actual point number. Um, sometimes it is important to know if I'm going 65 or 64 in, 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 based on speed cameras and that sort of thing. Um, so there are, you know, obviously we have even more controls that we have to do, not just on the dashboard. Um, you can set in the, in, in the menu area, which is a, a third area, you can set lap timers, you can do diagnosis, you can change the settings like, do you want the, the temperature to be in centigrade or Fahrenheit? One of the things this does is it creates reuse from a manufacturing standpoint. So they don't have to make that decision. They don't have to say, this is a bike going to be, that's going to be sold in the U.S., we better make it Fahrenheit. This is a bike that's going to be sold in Wales, we better make it centigrade or whatever. Miles per hour versus kilometers per hour. They give that control to the user. <clears throat> sort of, you know, like Web 2.0, it's just a toolkit, build it yourself. But, right, but they direct you in where to do it. And you can't set any of these things unless the bike is not just stopped, but actually off. The engine is off, just the key is on. This particular window here is actually from the Griso, which is a Motoguzzi sort of sport bike, Numa sport bike. The menu here is the same as it is on the Reva. And so, once again, same kind of things. The colors are chosen because of visibility. Most studies and automotive studies have shown that the, you know, the shades of red are better than the blues and the greens, especially for this type of contrast and overlay. Did I have to review the manual? Yes, I will, I will, or forums, you know, shared community uh, approach. How do I reset the such and such? Oh, here's the code. There's, a, there's strong communities in, in the Gucci, but other, other um, places. Um, yes, so the, really the question is, how easy is it to acquire this from other experiences? If one has never ridden, one has ridden a motorcycle but only analog displays, in analog controls, turning the little tripometer thing till the wheels come around to zero out. Yeah, there, there is some reading to be done. There's some homework. But um, 
I think it's one of those things that's also easy to uh, come up with, but you know, different people. What's our time, Adam? Okay, so um, the other controls, so that, let, let's, I want to talk about, um, so there's the dash, as I, as I said, you know, I mean the uh, gas thing, and it has the light that comes up when it gets really low um, with the red indicator. Um, there's always design, though, and designers do design, and I love this is actually my newest bike. I don't have all these motorcycles. I've, I've traded and changed and sold. I don't have that kind of money, but... Um, but, I mean, it's beautifully designed, the, the, the visual. There's the Motoguchi Griso in front of a uh, 1984 V65 Lario, uh, which is beautiful lines, beautifully uh, decided uh, aesthetics, as well as functional uh, controls and decisions that help uh, enhance the, the uh, drivability of the bike. But so there's a decision. This is a left-hand control, a fairly standard thing. You can see my left hand is on it with the forefinger kind of curled around to be able to access the multifunction button. This top button here is how to change from trip one, trip two, or mode, which is the, um, the menu and the getting into the diagnostics. The red button is low and high beams. Um, and then we see that we have you know the, the horn and the turn signal button. So here's a close-up of that, and so here's the horn with the little horn signal, and it's got a little indentation to be able to find with the thumb. Turn signals left, right, not self-canceling. A little old school, but guess what? These are half a dozen uh, controls from a bunch of different bikes <laughs> from different years. Modern. Turn signal, then horn. 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 Why? Not just a convention, but it's a safety issue. It's, a, it's an example of a good understanding of FIT's law. The time to acquire a target is related to the distance and the size. In the Gucci concept of the Breva, unfortunately, the, user, the user's thumb is closer to this control here, which is also at the end of the interface. The problem is, Acquiring that target is, means that a person who is trying to signal to some you know, idiot in an SUV turning left in front of them, instead of honking at him, it's going to put a turn signal on and could lead to you know, an incident. And the same with, you know, uh, I think I'll, I'll let everybody know I'm turning left here. You know, you're turning left, some guy doesn't see you. And so that's a, I think, I believe this is a design issue that leads to a really bad experiential uh, moment. And, Potentially could. Right. Yeah, BMW does that. Right. So, yeah. So the comment is that that, that on uh, BMWs and I think uh, Harley's now too. They have, like, the left is on the left, the right is on the right. Problem with that is the right hand is also the throttle hand, and there's, and, as well as a brake hand. And I believe that BMW is wrong. But, you know, I mean, but somebody makes that decision, and there are pros and cons to these. One of the unintended uh, effects of the Gucci, not shape, not just shape, but the angle at which the Breva dash sits is reflection. I wear this highly reflective vest. I thought, wow, this is great. You know, people will be able to see me in my black Rooka uh, uh, gear, you know. Well, yeah, but it reflects. It's reflective. 
and the angle and the type of glass and the field, the black field, create this issue. Whereas on the newer Breva 1200 Sport, they've gone to the white background, and it actually reflects less with whatever's in the, in the world. So there's a readability issue that's better with this, so that's a great design thing, but guess what? They took my little red line out here on my gas tank, and they took it out on the uh, tachometer. I think that's poor design in the sense that visually it might make sense. Oh, no, we don't need to add these other elements. Adam. Yeah, so that's a good question. Does it occlude right here is what you're saying, this, this, this arc here? It actually doesn't because of the placement and the angle. Difference is that on the Norja, the, my new bike, same dash, tilted at a different angle. It is a little bit different. So it is the angle itself is very important to that. Another interesting thing, this is an aside, this is about branding and it's about decision. Notice the startup of the 1200 Sport. It says Motoguzzi. Doesn't say Breva 1200, doesn't say Breva Sport. And my new Norja, I started up, Motoguzzi. So obviously a manufacturing decision was, it's cheaper if we just have the same unit in all of this. But what it does is it detracts from my brand experience. Yes, I'm loyal to Motoguzzi. You know, I got the Motoguzzi thing. I got the Motoguzzi belt. I got the Motoguzzi sticker on the back of the thing. I, you know, no, I don't have a tattoo yet. But, you know, that's, that's an issue. And um, sometimes a decision on design can make a decision on experience. So very quickly, I see, you know, human factors take, play, take a, a, a place in this. You know, visual acuity, uh, um, uh, the uh, fatigue, the uh, um, uh, size and shape and, and affordances, motivation, why people do this, what is it that brings them to this, what is their purpose, what are their perceived goals, and also desire, what is it they want to do and what does attract them, the field of aesthetics and that sort of thing. Uh, and I think that when it all comes down to it, all of these things together create a user experience. And I think that Looking at motorcycling as a whole, there is a user experience to it. Designers make good choices, bad choices, but they all help impact, I will say, not just help, but impact um, the experience. Some quick resources. Um, I would highly recommend, if you're interested, to read um, um, Melissa Pearson's book, some of the songs that you might know and might not kind of think about. Um, Killboy.com is really an interesting site. It's uh, based out of the um, Deals Gap in North Carolina. There's a um, road called the Dragon because it's it's a hundred and uh, thirty curves in eleven miles. So it's like the tail of a dragon, is what they call it. Um, and there's some great, you know, pictures of uh, people. They have really good high resolution photos. Um, Roadrunner Motorcycling is, I think, one of the best magazines in this. Um, that's kind of all I got. Um, questions or discussions? The question is, I mean, or the statement is that it's all about the experience. I would postulate, as a good IA, it depends. 
because one of the things now is um, Piaggio owns Vespa, a great you know, scooter brand, uh, and they make their own brand of scooters called Fly. Their thing is, we have one word for these crazy gas prices. Ciao. And then it's selling the scooter to get people into that, not because of the lifestyle, not because of that, but it's practical. It's going to save you money. Those of us who actually say that, yeah, I mean, my bike gets 40 to 45 miles per gallon. Is that pretty good? On the other hand, I have to put tires on every seven to 12,000 miles. You don't do that on cars, and that's certainly the cost, and it's a petroleum cost, too. Um, so, but there are people making decisions about commuting. Is this a good commuter bike? You know, um, I, I, would, I would agree that I think lifestyle or, yeah, lifestyle has a lot to do with it. Image, though, has a lot to do with it, especially among the, the as we say, the, you know, the Harley and the Harley wannabe crowd. Uh, a lot of people in that group will buy those very expensive 20,000 and up motorcycles so they can just, they can cruise. They're called cruisers. They go in straight lines really well. They just don't turn well. And, and uh, um, I just talking to a guy the other day who was really proud of the fact that he had this bike that was four years old. And he said, you know, if I'm really good with it, you know, in 10 years, it'll only have 10,000 miles on it. Wow. Because then I can sell it. And I'm thinking, Dude, 10,000 miles, that's like, you know, a year for me in a bad year. <laughs> but once again, I think that it, it does depend, and it comes in those choices. Yeah. Right, and so, so I mean, Ducatis, you know, to a lot of people, they, you know, they're difficult. They, you know, the, one of the biggest fears with Ducati is that it costs so much money to get it serviced. The, the uh, desmodromic uh, valves take something like uh, 14 hours of time to adjust. It's like two days' worth of full-time work just to adjust the valves. Um, that's a lot of money. Motoguzzi, you know, I got the valves sitting out here. It's a pushrod engine, you know, and blah, 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 more detail. But the point is, who do they listen to? Is it, and is it informed design or do, do they care? The interesting thing about Ducati is their sales units in the U.S. are not much bigger than Moto Guzzi. How many people here had never heard of Moto Guzzi before this talk? I mean, seriously. More than half. And yet Moto Guzzi is the second oldest motorcycle company in the world continually making motorcycles. Second only to Harley Davidson. Moto Guzzi has more racing awards still than any other manufacturer. But Ducati has also great branding. They have a great lifestyle appeal. Um, and I think they have made the investments in, uh, in their design world, and they're designed largely for Italian men. And I think that's who they're watching and listening to. The problem is that they, they become unpractical for us. So, you know, how much of that is informed design? How much of that is genius design? It could be. 
No fights. Right, right. But BMW is going after the KTM market. KTM, the Austrian company, is eating their lunch in the off-road and dual sport world. But so I think it works there. You know, y uh, Yamaha has spun off their cruiser line to a, the Star Line, which is a specific to the cruiser world, to, specific to the guys who say, I, you know, I want to be a Harley guy. I want to, you know, you know, put the fingerless gloves on and the shorty helmet, and you know, and, you know, when I close up my dentist shop on Friday and go out there and you know, be a one percenter. Um, and it is, you know, certainly in that sense. But I think that there are those niche groups that sell that. Moto Guzzi accounts for less than 1% of the U.S. Uh, motorcycle sales. I like to say that makes me a true 1%er to my Harley friends. But, but, I mean, that is a true consideration. And there are ergonomic, there are manufacturing, parts channel, dealer support issues that affect them as well. Only because, because of my experience, and I wouldn't be experiential. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that's a good question is, is we, you know, Japanese motorcycles sell more units, I think, worldwide than, than anybody. I don't have all the, the, um, I don't have all the uh, statistics, but the question is, you know, what experience do I have with, uh, with them? And one of the things that I did um, fairly recently is, and part of this was as a, um, um, as a test, because I had all this experience with Moto Guzzi, I rented a Yamaha FJR 1300. I'd read about it. There's a great website, SeizeTheJourney.com, a woman in Arizona who rides 50,000 miles a year. And part of this is women, you know, come on, let's get out there. You know, ride in the front, not the back. Um, and, you know, encouraging women. There's a lot of encouragement for women riders now. But um, we'll see if this loads. But one of the things I did was I rented, I took the time to be an informed purchaser, rented an FJR and rode 460 miles in a weekend to see what it was like and what the differences were. Because, and, and as a motorcycle, it was a great motorcycle. <clears throat> Power delivery was very good. Um, it, was, um, it was flawless in many ways. But you know what? One of the comments that people make about Japanese bikes, and, and where do you quantify this kind of comment in... Um, uh, she don't want to... Low computer, she no go. Okay, anyway, doesn't matter. One of the things is, how do you quantify that? I just like it. I, you know, it's, a, it's that desire. You know, it's I want a motorcycle. I need a motorcycle. That's that. I, I see it as the motivation. I have to get to work. Uh, you know, I have to save gas. Um, I have to be cool. But I, 
which is motivation slash desire, but I want to have a motive good story. I want it. The FTR forum on the, is full of very passionate people, but a lot of other people say the Japanese, motor, the Japanese motorcycles don't have is soul. It's the, they sound alike, they work alike. There are plenty, you know, so it's back to the question of why does somebody make the decision? And looking at Jared's yarn or looking at the branding issues, why do people make the choices that they do and who is making those choices and how do we meet their needs and their desires? Yeah, yeah. What you've described there is very similar. Um, that the people who like Campagnolo sets on, on their bikes, there's a hand built sort of soul about those that uh, people prefer. Whereas performance wise, Shimano sets are, you know, a standard because the Japanese have mastered uh, very high end right. production. Right. And so, again, it, it goes to what appeals to you. Um, And I think that that's also, I mean, it applies to so many other things, you know, you know, how many of us are using Macintosh because, well, I have to because my company makes me and, geez, you know, I really have to use this. And there, I mean, there are some people like that, but they're, they're the rarity. Most of us, it's, well, the Dell was like $600, you know, this is like $2,000. It's like, yeah, but, and, and that's what happens in the motorcycling world. I would say to somebody, if you're looking at competing or if you have an issue of price, you know, the Italians and even the Germans. One of the reasons I also stay with Motoguzzi is it was cheaper than the BMW. I mean, they're really expensive. So, but... Well, but see, that's also regionalism. That's the other thing is that in Europe, it's a different market in, in, in Japan and in Australia. Yeah. And the first re-entry bike I had was a Royal Enfield Bullet, which is uh, made in India. With, and I got the first year it had an electric start, which was 2002. Listen, thanks, every, everybody. Thanks very much.